to Jude, the book of Jude, uh, right before Revelation. And we're going to look, this isn't the last sermon. I know y'all are thinking, man, this is like the shortest letter. How can we have so many uh, messages on this one little letter, this one little book? Um, but <laughs> we're not done yet, okay? We're, we're going 17 to 23 this morning. And next week we'll look at 24 and 25, uh, which is really a doxology, a final praise to the Lord. And uh, I think it'll be worth our while just to look at those two verses in themselves. But this morning, uh, just a simple outline of the message. And I've tried to give outlines to this series, and I'll try to do that in the future so that if you take notes, you can kind of follow along. But simply, remember Jesus' words. That's important for us. Jude's going to tell us to remember. Uh, Remain in God's love and rescue the perishing. And that's really our great commission um, purpose as being saved and redeemed believers today. And I just want to jump right in with you guys this morning and so that we can follow along. Uh, I, I know uh, Mike said, hey, too many notes, man, so I don't know if you cut my notes out or not, man, but hey, whatever you did is okay. Uh, I want you guys to be able to follow and grasp what I say because I do know that sometimes I talk a little bit fast. Number one this morning is to remember Jesus' words, and it's in verse 17. I'd like for us to read verses 17 through 19 together. Now, we live in a world where we are constantly bombarded by things. And um, when I was in college, I was a business major. My, my, my uh, undergrad degree is business administration. My minor was marketing. And back then, years ago, uh, there was a number that you set to say, this is how many times it has to be put before a person's eyes, how many times the person has to be bombarded by it, whether through radio, through television, through billboards, through flyers in the mail, that they're going to take notice of something. And uh, we know that we have short attention spans, especially in America. And so it's imperative, especially as believers, that we remember something. Above all things, that we remember the words of our Lord, because that's what we're supposed to be living by. And so you can never read the Bible enough. You can never read the Bible too much. You can never go back and recall the words of Jesus. And this is what Jude's going to tell us here. Look with me, verse 17. But you must remember. That's the imperative command. Beloved, he's speaking to you. He's speaking to me. He's speaking to Christians, to believers. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers, mockers, following their own ungodly passions and desires. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. Would you pray with me? Lord, we live in a country today that um, it seems like that very verse is uh, just a prediction of what we're living through that there are all kinds of divisions, not just politically, God. I pray that in our church today, Lord, that we don't take up lines against uh, political parties, Lord, that whether we're Republican, whether we're Democrat, Lord, that we don't hate one another, God, that we would please look to our sovereign, supreme love, the first thing that binds us, that we're Jesus Christ's uh, beloved, that we're yours, God, that we're children of the living God. Lord, the divisions in this nation aren't just political. They're racial. There's so many things, Lord God, uh, that uh, separate us, God, but there is something more beautiful that unites us, and that is you and your son. 
And Lord, we know that, that, that this world is filled with worldly people. God, we were once worldly people. I pray that we don't forget that, that we remember what you delivered us from, that you saved us and redeemed us, and now we're not to live that way any longer, but we're to live for a heavenly kingdom, for your glory and honor. And God, that we would never be mistaken for people who are devoid of the Holy Spirit, that people would see us and know us through our language, through our messages, Lord God, through our lives, that they would know that we're Christians, Lord God, and they know us by that, that we have love. Lord, we pray that this church shines brightly, God, that people would see us and know us and come to know you better because of that. And God, we pray you'll bless this message to help us to remember its words, to charge us, to convict us, Lord God, and to make us go out and be doers of the word, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, so... Uh, Jude is out of the judgment section. Verses 5 through 16 were really the section of judgment where he was addressing false teachers. He was addressing ungodly people. Now, he was primarily addressing uh, false teachers and ungodly people who had infiltrated the church, okay? And so that was kind of his primary concern if we're in the sphere of who he's talking about. There are people still today who come into the church who try to uh, convert people literally away from Christ, or they try to gain popularity, gain authority, gain control, and uh, they try to uh, swerve people to be in their lane, to jump in the vehicle with them rather than giving God all the glory. They're about winning people over to their cause, to their side. And uh, we really have to be aware of those people because as sad as it is, they exist in church. I, 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 Cody, I remember Cody saying, uh, Cody is one of our nominating committee meeting, uh, nominating committee people, and Cody would say, I can't think of the word. Uh, that's a weird phrase anyway. Um, Cody said, why would anybody in the church want control? You know, I mean, and I, seriously, why? Because aren't we all equal at the foot of the cross? Aren't we all believers? I'm not above you because I'm the pastor. I'm one of the flock. I get to shepherd this flock, and I better take that seriously because I will answer for you one day. I will answer to the Lord Most High uh, on behalf of the people that I'm called to shepherd. And that's a high calling. God will deal with me. God will deal with all of the false preachers that are out there and the faithful preachers as well. God will deal with each one of us individually. And it's not my desire to have control over people. Um, It's not my desire to rule or to reign or to make you see things my way. That's not what we're about in the church. We're about God. We're about humbling ourselves before him and all going in the same direction to fulfill the same great commission. And so in the early church, heresy or uh, a, a false teaching caused a lot of problems, but it also brought a lot of blessings because out of, ble- out of problems, when we seek the Lord, blessings follow. After the storm, there's a rainbow. There's a promise. There are good things. God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purposes. And one of the good things that came out of all this false uh, teaching was the idea that these early Christians thought more clearly about Jesus. They guarded the truth more closely. They uh, would uh, pray more fervently. Man, when something's wrong in our lives, where do we go? We seek the Lord. We pray to God. We dig in to our faith. And it also caused the early church to identify 
what was Scripture and what was not. Because there's lots of junk floating out there that's philosophy, that's human teaching, and we're, we're prone to, to, like fish, to bite that hook and to swallow it whole, but we have to know the truth of God's Word to know what is error. We have to know what's righteous to know what is evil. We have to know what's blessed so that we avoid the sin of it all. And so, in order for us to be healthy Christians, we have to seek God's wisdom. Man, that's the simplest statement ever, but it's harder to live. And that's what Jude is telling us in these verses, in this passage today. To seek God's wisdom, we do three things. We remember Jesus' words. We literally hide them in our heart. We remain in God's love, that is to abide. And we rescue the perishing. We fulfill the Great Commission. We're about seeking the lost like Jesus was. And so Jude has shifted gears out of this passage uh, from verse 16 to verse 17 where we are today. He's no longer addressing um, and, and really speaking to these false teachers and the ungodly. He's talking to the beloved. He's talking to believers, the beloved of God. He's talking to us as Christians. And uh, we're to remember two important truths in this passage when we're remembering Jesus' words that he predicted that these false teachers would emerge in the last days so that we'd be warned. He also, number two, uh, showed us the practices of these false teachers so we would know what to look for and what to avoid. And so these promises of God, uh, he's given us already. Jesus himself, throughout the New Testament, warned us about mockers and scoffers. Uh, Matthew 7 Matthew 24, Peter warned us, um, Paul, uh, Peter warned us in 2 Peter chapter 2, Paul warned us in Acts chapter 20 and 1 Timothy 4 and 2 Timothy 3, um, John warned us in 1 John 2 and 1 John 4, and Jude throughout his little letter here has warned us about false teachers that will come. Their presence is a confirmation that God's word is true. Uh, that Jesus was telling us the truth, that his followers, the writers of the Bible, were telling us the truth. And really, what Jude is trying to get across to us is that the people we're to keep an eye out for are wolves in sheep's clothing. Now listen, we're sheep, okay? We're, we're the sheep of his flock. The sheep are supposed to know his voice, okay? So literally, when Jesus speaks to us, when the Holy Spirit's speaking to us, we should know that it's him. Um, but unfortunately, uh, Satan is called the master deceiver. He's the deceiver of the brethren. He's a wolf, and he comes in sheep's clothing oftentimes so that we can't discern or distinguish, is that really a sheep? Uh, he's trying to pull us away from something. And we've got to be careful because there are people who are literally of Satan that try to get in here into the church to try to divide us, to try to harm us, to try to water down the gospel message. We have to be aware of those people. And in these verses, Jude says that they're portrayed in four ways. First of all, they are scoffers. Second, they are sensual. Third, they cause divisions. And fourth, they are spiritless. And I just want to talk to you real quick about what those things mean. Because when you're looking to see if somebody is really a sheep or they're just a wolf with sheep's clothes on, they give the appearance of a sheep, these are how we tell the difference. First of all, a scoffer. When you see somebody in the church, this is really primarily what we're talking about. When they are representative of Jesus, when they're giving a preaching program or a worship program or they're writing a Christian or a spiritual book or they're writing blogs or they're giving podcasts and they say that we are Christians and you hear these things that are different from this message of the gospel, our ears need to perk up. Our eyes need to be open and we need to be aware of those people. So first of all, they're scoffers. That is that they mock or pour scorn on faith. They make fun of it. 
They scoff at the virgin birth. They say that the rapture isn't real, that Jesus isn't really returning, that we're foolish for believing those things. They joke about God's righteousness. They don't respect his name. They use his name in jest. They sneer or make light of God's holiness and his righteousness. They dismiss the Bible saying that it's not true, that it's not inerrant, that it's not perfect. They will do all sorts of things to take away from the glory of God, from his deity and worthiness. They will dismiss his praise. So be careful of those people. Secondly, they're sensual. Really what this means is that they're worldly Christians, or, or they're worldly in this sense, okay? And They speak and act out of ungodly passions. Their Lord is lust, and they're ruled by selfish desires. Man, if you see people that are just pulling away, uh, that are trying to lead you to follow them, to get in their camp rather than Jesus' camp, that's a clear red flag. Third, they cause divisions. Satan himself loves to cause divisions. He loves to divide and conquer. And so these type of people will come into a church And they will try to tear apart anything that's united. They'll promote chaos. In a short time, they can destroy and destabilize what may have taken generations to build up. And guys, I don't just say that that's in the church. That's in the world today. Uh, We see things in our country right now under this... uh, We don't have to look under a microscope even. We see it on a general level where people are... Uh, causing divisions, causing chaos, stirring up strife, trying to divide. Those are the works of the enemy, clearly portrayed. Anything that does not cause unity, especially in the church, is usually the result of Satan trying to pull apart, to destruct, and to destroy. Jesus said, uh, Jesus came only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Second point this morning, not only are we to remember Jesus' words, but we need to remain in God's love. Look at verse 20 and 21. Jude continues, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So how do we keep ourselves in God's love? How do we keep our love for God rooted and grounded in his love for us? Because his love's perfect. If we're mimicking that, our love becomes the same thing. This is Jude's blueprint. A, B, C. Grow in your salvation, verse 20. Pray in the Spirit, verse 20. And watch for the Savior, verse 21. You're not going to go astray here if you're doing these three things. Number A, letter A. Grow in your salvation. Christ and his gospel must be our foundation. If we build on anything else, it's like building on sand. It will fall apart. It will implode. God and his word, they must be our sure place to stand in a slippery world. Um, If you're not running to the fortress that is God when you're in trouble, you're going to get hurt. Okay? If we don't look to the Lord and say, uh, you're my strength, you're my solace, you're my help in time of need. When I'm in distress, God, you are my deliverer. You're the perfect promise. You're the one that I need. Guys, that's where we always need to be running to. And since we live in a world that's full of despair and despicable things, God should constantly be the deliverer we're running to and seeking. And third, to watch for the Savior. And so, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, as we learn the scriptures, as we understand their life-giving truth, we're strengthened and built up. We grow, we mature 
Um, no Bible, we understand this, guys. If there's no Bible in your life, you're not going to grow to be more like Jesus. If it's not in your heart, if it's not in your mind, guys, I'm just telling you this truth. You're a Christian, but you're a weak one. If we don't study to show ourselves approved, then who are we seeking to, to glorify? If we don't learn the word for ourselves, then somebody comes out and tries to sell us something, we might buy it. Do we know the Word of God? If the early church hadn't known the Scriptures, they would have fallen in line with the false teachers and gone their direction. If we don't have the Word of God, we can't mature. If we don't have the Gospel, if that isn't the basis for what we're trying to do, we will not receive God's best in our lives. And we eat, we drink, we breathe physically. And the same is true spiritually, that we must be ingesting, that is taking in God's truth, God's word, and we must be digesting it for our bodies to get strong, for our minds and our spirits to grow. The second thing we're to do is to pray in the spirit. Ephesians 6, 18. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. What's happening to you? Did you lose somebody? Pray. Are you in... Are you in trouble financially? Pray. Are you hurting? Did you lose friendship with somebody? Uh, do you feel endangered? Are you, are you struggling in mentally or emotionally in some way in life? Is your physical body being afflicted? Man, pray. Seek the Lord. And this is what we're to do, to pray in the Spirit. As the temple of the Holy Spirit, which you and I are, the very presence of God resides within us guiding us, convicting us, praying for us. And praying in the Spirit means that we pray for God's will to be done. That's all it means. When you're praying in the Spirit, the Spirit of God will lead you into praying for God's will. That your selfish will is dropped aside. That everything that focuses on you isn't the epicenter of your prayer. That you begin to think of others who are in distress, others that are hurting, others that are in tragic places or in storms of life. And you begin to uh, deeply develop this sense of God leading you. And it's His Spirit that's within you helping you to pray as you ought. Even in moments where you don't have words to speak. And it just comes out as a groan or a cry or a whimper. And the Holy Spirit is forming those words and taking them to the Father. There is beauty in praying in the Spirit. And Christians, we must be praying in the Spirit. When we pray in the Spirit, it keeps us close to God and it keeps us in the sphere of His love. Literally, we draw closer to His presence. I, I, I've heard it said a couple of times, I, I close my eyes when I'm preaching sometimes. And I do because I'm, 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 I don't do it intentionally, but I sense very near drawing to this throne. I do it in prayer. A lot of times I'll do it in worship. And I'll tell you this, sometimes I'll stand right there and I'll worship the Lord and I'll hear Teresa and the choir's voice. I'll hear the guitar. I'll hear the music playing. And I'm not even here, all right? It's like I am standing or kneeling in the presence of God, just praising and worshiping his name. Now, I don't think there's anything weird about that. Now, if I start dancing or something, y'all might think it's, it would be weird, okay? Um, but do you ever get transported? And I'm not talking about leaving our physical bodies, but mentally, spiritually, we are in the presence of God. There's, I mean, somebody could be talking to me and it's blocked out because I'm focusing on the Lord. Pray in the Spirit. That's one of the ways we remain in God's love. Letter C, or the third point under part two, is to watch for the Savior. It's an eager hope. 
It's a godly anticipation. And, and really, Jude uses this word, looking for the Lord. Uh, this is idea of waiting expectantly and with certainty. I don't wonder if Jesus is coming. I know that my Savior is coming back. Amen? You know that your Savior is coming to take you to be with Him. Guys, if we don't die physically before this happens, morbid thought I know, but if we don't die physically before the Lord's return, He is going to take us with Him. I really believe that the rapture is spoken of all throughout Daniel, even into the New Testament, Thessalonians, Revelation, other different places. And guys, we're looking for that Savior to come. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. Titus 2.13 calls this our blessed hope. Jude says it's a coming of mercy unto eternal life. Guys, we are, I believe, I don't even know if we're going to be, uh, re- be able to realize it because it's going to happen in the twinkling of an eye. I used to think that was a blink, and I've said this before, we can't even fathom the speed of light. I mean, we can measure it, but how long it takes for that light to reflect light off of my eyeball back out, there's a twinkling that's going to happen. It's going to happen quick, but we do know this, that that eastern sky is going to split open, and the king of glory is going to enter in. Pastor Danny Aiken, um, I love listening to this guy, and this is what he said about this passage. Listen, these are his words. Dear brothers and sisters, my heart and eyes are fixed heavenward for a rider on a white horse whose name is faithful and true whose eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many crowns. I'm looking for one whose robe is dipped in blood, and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. I will grow in his word, pray by his spirit, and watch for his coming. However, until that day when I see him face to face, bow my knee, and kiss his nail-scarred hands and feet, I will be passionate to carry out a crucial and essential assignment. Until that day comes, we got work to do. The third and final point leads into that work that we got to do. It's called rescuing the perishing. Guys, Christianity is not just about us. I used to have a, a Sunday school teacher, and he said this so many times, Jason Phillips. He said, I truly believe that if the Lord only meant for us to be saved, that was the only purpose in our lives, that at the moment of salvation, he would take us to be with him. That's not the whole purpose of the Christian life. Yes, it is to come to know the Lord in a personal relationship. But we have a lot of kingdom work to do after we're saved. We have a lot of things to experience. We have a a prelude to glory, to live here now, even though it's hard and difficult. And we find this in verses 22 and 23. Jude says, and have mercy on those who doubt. That's your job, my job, to be merciful on doubters. Save others by snatching them out of the fire, and to others show mercy with fear. That's also our job, to show mercy and yet have a reverential respect and fear of what's going on, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Luke 19.10 says that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost, including us. The Son of God came on a rescue mission for lost, dying, and wandering souls. Sadly, though, guys, and I I, I say this with me in the we, okay? According to NAM, the North American Mission Board, Southern Baptist branch of what happens with missions in the states, 
the statistic is that 95%, this is heartbreaking, um, 95% of Southern Baptists never share a verbal witness. For the longest time in my life, I never shared a verbal witness. I never told somebody how to be saved. It says that we never tell someone how to be saved or share the gospel a single time verbally in our lifetimes. Yes, we may live it outwardly, and that is wonderful and beautiful. But guys, the message has to be proclaimed because as the word tells us, how will they know if they're not told? Guys, if we don't care if people are saved, we need to consider if we are saved. And I know that that is the hardest line that I've preached in a long, long time. But if you don't have compassion and mercy, if there is no care in your heart, if the little girl that we pick up on the van or the little boy that we serve in the food line or the one in your Sunday school class or your neighbor or your mom or your dad, maybe it's your cousin, maybe it's somebody in your family, maybe it's the person that works beside you at work, maybe it's the guy at the gas station or the woman behind the counter checking you out at Walmart, Maybe it's somebody, but if you don't care about their eternity and where they're going to go when we die, when they die, there's something innately wrong in our hearts. It's not just about us. It's not just about you and I. Man, we are saved from eternal damnation because of Jesus' work on the cross. We put our faith in him. We are not going to hell. And, and next week, I'm really going to talk about security of the believer when I talk about the doxology in verse 24 and 25. We don't lose our salvation. It's not our salvation anyway. It's God's salvation that he grants to us. And if we believe we can lose it, we sure serve a weak and powerless, impotent God. It's not that type of God that we serve. He is powerful. And so when we say that we must have compassion for lost people, Love for lost people. Jude's going to talk about, right here in these last two verses, three types of people who are right now perishing and dying spiritually that it's our mission to rescue and how we're to do it. He begins with doubters. And he says that we're to have gentleness with doubters. He says uh, this word compassion or mercy over and over again for those who doubt. And guys, you and I have had Christ's mercy multiplied to us. We will receive the fullness and fulfillment of his mercy when we get glorified to be with him in heaven one day. So what we should be doing while we're here is extending that same mercy to people who doubt. People who struggle with believing if the Bible is real. People who wonder if the truth of the gospel can really save you. People who are influenced so often by false teaching because there's so much junk out there in the world that they're confused. And Satan's tried to keep them confused. He's tried to keep their eyes blinded so that they wouldn't know the truth and wouldn't understand it and wouldn't believe by faith. That's Satan's mission. Demons are out there all the time trying to keep us away from the truth of God's word. But guys, it's our mission. Guys, I really believe that we're plan A. I really believe that Jesus died. He spent 33 years in formation, and he spent thousands before that, even from eternity past, establishing the law, showing that the law was insufficient to save a man because our works aren't enough, bringing Jesus into the world. He lived a sinless, perfect life for 33 and a half years. He died on the cross. He was the Lamb of God. He was fully God, fully man. His, he was sinless and perfect. He was the Son of Man in that he came from Mary, but he was the Son of God, in that his father was of a sinless origin. 
He brought him together, lived a life that was so perfect and righteous that only his death, none of ours, none in history, none in the future, could fulfill and satiate, satisfy God's judgment and righteousness. That Jesus would willingly go to the cross and be crucified and die is what gave us the chance of eternal life. Jesus is the one who pledged, filled the gap. He's the one who pledged himself to make us right with God, to give us peace with God, to bring us back in relationship with God. He's the one. We weren't just sick sinners, guys. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. And God had to bring us to life spiritually through Jesus Christ alone. That is what happens when we place simple childlike faith in the Son of God. And I say, God, forgive me of my sins. God, I need Jesus Christ. I pray that you would save my soul. And something radically happens in the heavenlies where we are no longer our own. The old man and the old woman die and pass away. We are filled with the Spirit of God, never to be lost. We leak it sometimes, but we don't lose that Spirit because it's the pledge, the guarantee of our salvation that he has sealed us with unto the day of redemption. And we are one day going to be caught up up with him and spend an eternity in heaven in his glory. We will be invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb, and he is going to call us his own. We will cast our crowns at his feet and praise him forever, all to his glorious name. God is good, and he'll save anybody, no matter how wretched or pitiful they are. He saved me, he saved you, and we were worms, as the Bible describes it. Our best was as filthy rags before him. And so, guys, when I say that we need to look at doubters, we were once doubters. We were once scoffers. We once didn't believe. If we would put ourselves back in the shoes of countless people who are on that broad road to destruction, we would feel for them and think, I was there once. I wish they had what I have now. I wish they knew the Savior I know. I wish when I go to a funeral or preach a message at somebody's gravesite or do a memorial service that all people that are there would have the same hope and same knowledge of God that I have in Him, knowing that this isn't the end for them, that there's something greater to come. Because of that gentleness we're supposed to work with towards believers, guys, we have to move with urgency. Jude says that these are the last days. These folks that are deceived are so close to hell's fires, and so close to judgment, that Jude says to save them as if by snatching them out of the flame. Jude's calling for urgent action and decisive action on our part. It's almost too late. They're almost too far gone. But there's still time to rescue them if we'll act now. Guys, I'm not talking about waiting till 2021 when everybody removes their masks or November 3rd or whenever it's going to happen. I'm not talking about waiting till this fall when we feel like we've got the Bible under grasp a little bit more or when we've cleaned ourselves up just a little bit or we've made ourselves just a little bit more righteous, or one day when the time is right, I'm going to tell them, I'm talking about now. Telling people about Christ now. Man, I know hell is not a popular subject. I know that people don't want to talk about hell. I know that most people don't want to think about hell. I know that even as believers, that we want to act like hell isn't real, and if we ignore it enough, Maybe it'll just go away from the conversation altogether. But given enough time, every person who's ever lived will one day believe in the reality of hell. Whether you're in Abraham's bosom or you're in Gehenna's fire, whether you're in heaven in the presence of God or whether you're in hell itself, everybody's going to believe in hell one day. 
I really truly believe that sometimes confrontational evangelism is necessary because sometimes it's our only hope. We may put it off and put it off and put it off and put it off because we don't want to have that conversation. I realize what it is to witness to my family because I've witnessed to my grandmother, I've witnessed to my grandfather, I've witnessed to my mother, I've witnessed to my father, I've witnessed to my other grandmother, I've witnessed to people in my family, I've witnessed to my uncle, I've told them, it's not because I'm a preacher, I have something special about me. Long before I was a preacher, I was 17 years old and so pathetic in my knowledge of scripture and I would tell my grandma, Grandma, do you know that if you were to die today, that you'd go to heaven. Well, should no, I don't. Should Le- seventeen years old, didn't know what I was doing, ain't got no clue idea. And I said, "Well, can we pray together?" And sitting at that table in their tiny little home in Kibler, Arkansas, my grandma prayed to receive Jesus. I was so unsure of myself that she was really saved. I get it when people say, "I don't know how to witness my family." I went and talked to my pastor, Brother Sid, and I said, Brother Sid, I think my grandma accepted Jesus. I said, would you make sure, like the pastor's the one that comes and makes totally sure that the salvation's good or not. Looks good, man. Check. Double stamp. My granny was saved. She was saved because she called out. I mean, she was 72 years old. She was dying of cancer, and I knew it was coming, and I knew that time had to be acted with urgency. That's Naomi Dolores Gregory. Born May 10th. I don't even know what year. I know that I was born on May 9th, and I used to celebrate my birthday with my granny every year growing up. And then after my granny passed away, I married a girl that was born on the same day as her, May 10th. And now we get to celebrate our birthdays again together. I know this, guys, beyond a shadow of a doubt, because of the faith that my grandmother placed in Jesus Christ, that one day I am going to see her again. I know that every person, based on the promise of God, that places their faith in Jesus Christ will be in his presence eternally. But I also know this, that if you deny him, reject him, and refuse to believe, that you will be cast out of his presence for eternity. Guys, we have to tell people that hell is real because we also have to contradict that with the idea that heaven is real, that God is good, that faith is works, that they can be saved and forgiven. And doing all this, I'm just going to jump through this last part, because we have to take caution with the defiled. There are some people that are so corrupt that even though we should still try to reach them, and we must pray for them, we can't, we have to be careful if they're down there, and they're willing to pull us down into the pit with them, that when we reach to try to grab them, that we don't fall down with them, that our lives don't become mixed with theirs, and we look and act and become like the corrupted, like the sinful, like the ungodly. We have to be careful with that. I'll close with this idea of William Booth, and I don't know if you have that slide, Mike. Founder of the Salvation Army, you may have heard his name. Booth said, if I had my way, I would not send my workers to four years of college. <gasps> you say that today? If I had my way, I would not put them through ye- three years of cemetery. I mean seminary. If I had my way, I would put all of my workers in hell for five minutes. That would be the best theological training they could ever receive. Guys, I don't think it'd take five minutes. I think just a moment, a glimpse in hell, if you saw the misery and the horror, the unquenchable flame, and the dire need in hell, that all of us forever would be about the mission of God and fulfilling the Great Commission with such passion and urgency that nobody would ever have to tell us to. we just do it. 
Lost people matter to God, and they should matter to us. As healthy Christians, as victorious Christians, we should remember the words of Jesus. Remain in his love. Grow in our salvation. Build, other up, build up other people in their salvation too. Pray in the Spirit. Look for Christ's return as we're going about the work of rescuing the perishing and caring for the dying. Guys, we know time is limited. It's short. There are signs all around the world that point to this. Heaven and hell are both real. And I tell you this just with this question at the end of this message to be put visually before you. You do not have to have any kind of knowledge or training in the scriptures. You do not have to be a preacher or a missionary or an evangelist or a Sunday school teacher or a deacon. You don't have to have any of those qualifications to tell somebody about Jesus Christ. Every one of us can do it. Little bitty kids can hear it and believe. We see it every year. You can make a difference in somebody's life now and for eternity. The eternal destiny of human souls is hanging in the balance. And the question is, what are you going to do about it? Because, guys, it's not just my job and Ben's job or Teresa's job and Brian's job. I know that we're paid when we're considered professionals. We're not professionals. But we're paid to be gospel sharers, burden bearers, prayer warriors, interceders, and all of those things. And we love to do that, to praise his name. But, guys, if the church aren't the ones going out and telling people about Jesus, we're going to fall way short. We'll never go into your business or into your classroom or into your home or your neighbor's home like you can. You can reach them for Christ. I'm going to pray. I'm just going to ask you to sit right where you're at for just a second. Uh, you, you, I know you have people in your life that you know, maybe that you wonder if they're saved. Maybe you know they're not saved. Kids, parents, nieces, nephews, neighbors, friends at work, schoolmates, teachers, employees or an employer, maybe your boss, maybe it's a sweet little lady that you visit every week when you go to the grocery store and you talk to her at the cash register. As there are a lot of people that don't know Christ. They're good folks. They're friendly. They smile. You can have a conversation with them. You can talk about the weather with them, or about sports with them, or about politics with them, but you never dare mention the name of Jesus because you're afraid you'll offend them. Guys, don't let the name of Jesus be a stumbling block for you who call yourself by his name. Jesus is our Savior, and he can save them too. It's not your job to save them. It's the Spirit's job to draw them and convict them. It's God's job to save their souls because Jesus' job is complete on the cross that he died for their sins. It's your job and my job to be faithful with the gospel. And so, guys, I know it's hard, but there's no time like now. This week, if you get a chance, take it. Maybe they'll think weird of you or something, but I promise you, you're going to be the person when they're in trouble that they come to to ask for prayer and for help. You're going to be the person when somebody they love dies or when their parents are going through a divorce or when they're struggling or when sickness comes in their life that they're going to seek out because they know you know God and they're going to ask you to pray for them. 
we have such a powerful witness and people don't want to hear the good news of Jesus because people love darkness rather than light but guys we got to shine this light don't put it under a bushel don't hide it let it shine God I pray that you deal with your people deal with me Help us, Lord God, to not be embarrassed, to not feel like we don't know enough of your word, to not have the wrong words, Lord, even the introverts amongst us, Lord God, that we wouldn't shy away from sharing the gospel, that whether we need to type it in a letter, write it online, put it out there in a phone call or a text message, or we need to go to a door and share it, that we would share it, Lord God, and let the chips fall where they will, because you're a sovereign God. And when we do our part to share the gospel, Lord, you'll do your part to draw people, to convict them, and to save them. And Lord, we trust that. We love you, Lord. I pray that we would be faithful to the very end, that we wouldn't get scared of this and run away from it, that we wouldn't let hell have the victory here, but that we'd give you all the glory and honor for what you're going to do. We ask it all in Jesus' name.